Okay, if you could open up your Bibles to Ruth chapter 1, verse 22. Ruth chapter 1, verse 22. As you're turning to that passage of Scripture, Ruth 1, uh, verse 22, does anybody know what Adam said the day before Christmas? It's Christmas, Eve. Okay. In Ruth chapter 1, the uh, title of the message tonight is, Where Are You Spending Christmas? And the main verse we're going to look at is in Ruth chapter 1, verse 22. So Naomi returned... And Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Question. If this applies to you, someone that you know, a friend, a relative, do you know anybody that's bitter? Do you know anybody who is sick, whether it be a physical sickness or a mental illness? Do you know anybody who's failing? They feel like their life is, you know, really down low. And I think if we think of those people, they might come to us in the workplace. Could be somebody in our family. Could be somebody in church. Unfortunately, it is a condition in our world today, and you and I may be there right now, or we may have come from there, or we may be going there. Well, in this story, there's a word, um, again, I really enjoy the Old Testament because of the words. And in the past couple teachings, I showed you some of the words in the scriptures and how they mean certain things. Well, this particular uh, passage in verse 22 is full of so much. Naomi's name, uh, her name means pleasant. But if you're familiar with the book of Ruth, when she goes back to Israel, where she's been away for 10 years or more, she didn't want her name to be pleasant anymore. She wanted it to be Mara, which means uh, bitter. Because of the things that took place while she was living in Moab. You might have heard the saying, are you bitter or better as a result of the circumstances that you go through? Well, a lot has to do with the things, the very things that God gives us in his word. Another thing we see in the book of uh, Ruth is the word sickly. Um, the word pining. I don't know if you ever heard of the word pining. I looked it up and it says to fail gradually in health or vitality from grief, regret, or longing. Human conditions, things that hit us all at one time of our life or another. 
Well, these were some of the names of Naomi's children. She had two sons. One son was named Malon. His name means sick or sickly. The other was Chilion, which is pining or failing. Heck of a name to give your sons. Now, again, in this story, if you just flip back to the beginning of Ruth, there's some things that takes place that lead us up to where we're going. It says, and I'm just going to browse through it and point out a couple things. It says in verse 1, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. Now you have to remember in the days that the judges ruled, there were very dark days in Israel. There was a lot of disobedience going on. And the judges were appointed by God, and they would come on the scene and disappear. They would uh, tell the people God's word, and the people would either accept it or reject it. Well, there was a famine in the land, and that's something that is important to understand why there was a famine. If you want to turn to it, it's in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 11, verses 13 to 17, or you can just follow along when I read it. But in Deuteronomy 11, verses 13 to 17, it says, And it shall come about, if you listen obediently to my commandments, which I am commanding you today, to love the Lord your God and to serve him with all your heart and all your soul. That he will give the rain for your land in its season, the early and the late rain, that you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil. And he will give grass in your fields for your cattle, and you shall eat and be satisfied. Beware lest your hearts be deceived, and you turn away and serve other gods and worship them. Or the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you, and he will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain, and the ground will not yield its fruit, and you will perish quickly from the good land which the Lord is giving you. You shall therefore impress these words of mine on your heart and on your soul, and you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. And you shall teach them to your sons, talking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates so that your days and the days of your sons may be multiplied on the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give them as long as the heavens remain above the earth. Now you can see as a result of disobedience, the Lord had said that he would bring a famine on the land. Now, it's so important to understand that God disciplines those he loves. So if God is getting our attention, there might be something unpleasant going on in our lives because he loves us and he wants to direct us back to home. And he did this with the people that he loved in Israel. Now, there is a form of religion today that says if you're sick or you don't have enough money, it's because your faith is weak. Well, we don't see that anywhere in the scriptures. There was a famine in this land because 
Well, first of all, God said that he would uh, bring plenty into the land. There would be an abundance in the land. Now, that abundance isn't necessarily wealth and health. We're talking about spiritual things. That, like Paul, you and I should be content in all circumstances. Or like Job, though he slay me, I will still praise him. Our heart tells us where we are with the Lord. It's the indicator of our walk. I think of Johnny Erickson Tata. I don't know if you know who that is. Uh, Johnny is a uh, quadriplegic. When she was a young girl, I believe in her late teens or early 20s, she went swimming with friends in a lake, dove in, head first, broke her neck, has very little mobility, can't use her arms and her legs. But if you've seen, if you hear her, she has a radio program or a little blurb on the radio. But she's written books. She's done paintings with a paintbrush in her mouth and beautiful paintings. I could use all my fingers and all my toes, and I couldn't even come close to what she's doing, even if I had paint by the numbers. What she does is tremendous. She made a statement a few years ago that she would not trade her position with anyone in the world. Now think about this. This is a lady that is in a chair. Her legs and her arms are just curled up. But she said she would not change what happened to her with anybody in the world. She longs for the day when she's going to be running again in heaven and using her arms and her legs. But because of what happened to her, her relationship with the Lord became so, so real. The bond that they have together became so much more real through the adversity that she went through. So we see her and say, oh, that poor woman. You know, oh, yeah, she paints great, but oh, she's in a chair. You know, she can't move. She can't do anything. She can't walk a dog. You know, whatever. But she does not feel sorry for herself. She's not bitter. She's better as a result of this tragic accident. Pointing it back to us, where are we in this whole thing? When, we, when I read the thing with Deuteronomy in chapter 11, verses 13 and 17, there were some things there that God said he was going to bring rain for the land in its season, an early and a late rain. And in that same verse 14, it says that you may gather in your grain and your new wine and your oil. That whole verse just speaks to me of the Holy Spirit, how God will just pour out his Holy Spirit on his people, like new wine, like oil, like um, the early rain and the late rain. He's always available for us. He just saturates us. However, are we in the place to receive that rain, that oil, that new wine? Are we in that place? Now, going back to Ruth and uh, Naomi. Naomi had left her home. She lived in Israel. She had left her home with her husband to go to Moab. Now, this is crucial for you and me. Her husband's name was Elimelech. And if you want to follow some of this, it's in Ruth chapter 1, the first few verses. Uh, verse 2, it says, the name of the man was Elimelech. Now, his name means God is king. 
But when you read the story of Ruth, one of the things that I was saying, I I was saying to myself, should his name be God was king rather than God is king? Because what Elimelech did is he took his wife and his two sons and went to Moab. Now, you've got to understand that Moab is a hike. You have to go through Jericho. You have to go through the Judean wilderness where Jesus was led by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. You end up in the land of Moab in the Dead Sea area. This was a big departure from the promised land where the Israelites were led, the, flow, the land flowing with milk and honey. So they're, they're regressing from Israel, going back to a place in an area where they were delivered from. So they were definitely taking steps in the wrong direction. Now you have to remember, the reason they did this was there was a famine in Israel. The exact town that they lived in was Bethlehem. And if you know what Bethlehem stands for, it's the house of bread. Now, when you think of bread, you think of nourishment. You think of filling your stomach. They left the house of bread to go to a place they were delivered from. God is king. Is he? Is he? Our actions show our heart attitude. If we look at Elimelech's family, we can say, yeah, your name means God is king, but you're leaving the place God brought you to to go to a, back to a place where you came from. Now, I know with myself, if I'm not walking with the Lord, it's very easy to slip back to the place I came from. Easy, like it was yesterday, even though it might have been 5, 10, 15 years ago. It's like, man, it never changed. Just like that, back. But when you're walking with the Lord and he's nourishing you, boy, you're growing stronger and stronger. And that seems so far away. It seems so long ago from what the Lord delivered you from. If you follow in verse 2. The name of his wife was Naomi, and the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion, Ephratypes of Bethlehem, Judah. Now, tonight we opened up with praise. Judah means praise. See, they were in the house of bread. They were praising God. They were doing the things that God calls you and I to do. If we don't do those things, what normally takes place? There's a famine. We go through the famine, don't we? We go through... The spiritual dryness. We go through the spiritual starvation. We're spiritually malnutritioned. But you know what happens? We don't think about that. We, we leave. You know, God doesn't leave us. We leave him. We, we turn our back on him and walk away to try to nourish ourselves with all the junk food. Just like Naomi Just like Elimelech did. But God is so awesome. Because in the verse that we're looking at tonight, in verse 22, 
Naomi returns to Bethlehem because she found she heard that the Lord had given food to his people. God's grace and his mercy. Think of the times that we weren't walking with the Lord. Yet we're here tonight reading his word. Think of the nights when we had or Sundays that we had opportunities to hear his word, to interact, to fellowship with one another. But we didn't for whatever reason. But that was a consistency. That was the pattern of our life. But then God just pours out his grace and mercy, gets a hold of you again and brings your heart back home. That is awesome. That is our God. That's not us. That's totally him. It's totally Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit all working together for you and for me because he loves us so much. Cool thing happens. Notice Naomi returns with someone. She returns with someone who is a Moabitess. Someone that the Lord said not to deal with. Don't have anything to do with these people because they're a pagan nation. But even in Naomi and Elimelech's disobedience, God's grace and mercy comes through. And not only does he bring back Naomi, but he brings back an unsaved person who gets saved through the action of Naomi. And that's the other thing I want to highlight. Naomi heard about what God was doing in Israel from Moab. Now remember, she could not jump in a plane or a helicopter, couldn't take the transit system, couldn't ride a bicycle, no mopeds, no skateboards. She had to travel from where she was through this whole area. It's a hilly, rough, dry area. It was tough. She had just lost her husband and her two sons. It was just her and Ruth. But she made the journey. Even though it was tough, she got up and she went. She could have stayed, but she would have never known what the Lord had for her in the place that he wanted her from the start. Now, you and I, we know that we should stay in fellowship. We know we should be praying to the Lord. We know we should be reading the Bible. How serious do we take that? And how many years go by? Ten years, like Naomi and Elimelech? How, how long goes by before we really buy in and trust the Lord at his word? Between the Old Testament and the New Testament, there was about 400 years of silence. Can you imagine that? Think if we never, never heard from the Lord in our lifetime. Where would we be? Where would we be if we never heard from the Lord, if the Lord never led us, if he never spoke to our hearts through his word? Can you imagine that? I can't. I can't imagine what this world, my world would be like if that was true. You and I need to take action and be in the place that God wants us to be. Not in the place, the Moab place, 
but in the place that God calls us to be all the time. Continuing in verse 22. Now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. What an awesome thing. Just think about what was happening at the barley harvest. There was new grain. There was new life. It wasn't a coincidence that Naomi left Moab. And as she comes in, she sees the fruitfulness of the land before her. And she has to realize that God is her king. She's back in the place that she was supposed to be. Now, if you've never read Ruth, it's a tremendous love story. It's awesome. All the blessings that come to Naomi and her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Some great things take place. Sometimes we think that if we move physically from one location to another, or we move from one church to another, things will change. But that isn't true. It's not the location that you're in. It's the location of your heart. It's not your physical location. It's your heart location. Where is your heart? Is it in the place that God is calling it to be? Now, Bethlehem is the house of bread. This is where Naomi was from. This is where she was returning to. Of course, at this time of the year, I mean, we sang, I think, a few songs that had the word Bethlehem in it. I mean, that's what you hear a lot of at this time. Think of that time when Jesus was born, Mary and Joseph traveling, coming to that inn that was sold out because of the number of people that was in that area. Now, you and I are some of those people at different times of our life. Mary and Joseph go to the innkeeper to find a place because Mary's going to give birth. There's no rooms for them. There's no room. Well, we know there's no room for a lot of people. Or there's no room for Jesus for a lot of people in our world today. There wasn't room for Jesus at one time in your life and my life. But we opened up our hearts into him and invited him in. Now, we're in the inn. You and I are in the Holiday Inn. We're looking out and we see this couple. We see Joseph and we see Mary, who's pregnant. And they're not coming in. We just see them going around the corner to this stable. Now, we're looking outside. We're looking from the inside out. And now, what is our reaction? Well, I think some of you would have went down there and seen if there anything that you could do. There's others of you would say, hey, Joseph and Mary, take my room. I'll get my sleeping bag and I'll come out here. Then there's other people who wouldn't do anything. Just like back then, they would have just stayed in their comfort zone. I wonder how many people walked by the stable and the inn and saw just... Wow, look at those people over there with the animals. I wonder why they're there. They're such a young couple. Oh, look. The lady's pregnant. Hmm. And they just kept going. I wonder how many stayed and asked if they could do anything to help. 
you know, just the whole human thing. Like how many people were reaching out? How many were ignoring? I mean, we'll never know that, but I can imagine there had to be many people who had opportunities to do something. Where do we fall in tonight with the whole thing with doing something that God's calling us to do? Are we on the inside looking out? Or are we right there, right where God wants us to be? And it's in proportion to how you're spending your time in prayer, talking to the Lord, and, in, and putting your face in this book to see what he has to tell you. little poem, Christ did not come to shield us from the grief and pain of life, but those who have his peace inside can thrive within the strife. Even when Jesus came into the world, he showed it wasn't all nice and everything perfect. There was hardship right from the beginning for Mary and Joseph. Right during the time of his birth and all the way through his life. But there was tremendous blessing also. They want to trade anything in now looking back for the blessings that they had. We have to understand when Jesus said, I came to give you life and to give it to you abundantly, he wasn't just blowing smoke. He means that. But how many times do we try to, okay, maybe I should just go away a little bit over here because I see in Moab there's something that I need right now compared to where Jesus is calling us to be and just to trust him. Turn with me, if you will, to John chapter 6. John chapter 6, uh, beginning with verse 47. John 6, starting with verse 47. Now remember, Bethlehem in the house of bread, and the title is, you know, where are you spending Christmas? Where are you? Where am I spending Christmas this season? Verse 47, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the man in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, He who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. 
Now, we know that Jesus didn't literally mean to eat his flesh and drink his blood. He was just using a, a metaphor. But what did that mean? It means take him in, be nourished by him. Some religions we know say that's a literal body and blood of Christ that you're taking when you have communion. But that's cannibalism. There's one sacrifice. Jesus already paid the price. We don't have to re-sacrifice him over and over again. When the fathers in the Old Testament had the manna in the wilderness, that was temporary bread. What Jesus is talking about is eternal bread. Bread that brings eternal life. He is the bread from heaven. Now, I could see a loaf of bread on a plate. That's not going to satisfy my hunger. Not going to do it. I could know the ingredients of the bread. That's not going to do anything to satisfy my hunger. I could take pictures of the bread. That will not satisfy my hunger. I could tell other people about the bread. Not going to satisfy my hunger. I could sell the bread. Not going to satisfy my hunger. I could play catch with the bread. And that will not satisfy my hunger. Nothing will satisfy the hunger until you eat the bread. Jesus said, he who eats this bread will live forever. Now, as a result of this, many disciples turned away because they were thinking literally, what do you mean eat his flesh, drink his blood? This is too difficult for me. But one of the things they realized was he was asking for an all-out commitment, an all-out dedication to who he was and what he stood for. That to be willing to die for him. And that was too much for a lot of these people, you know, to receive and to follow this man. You have to remember some of the things that took place as Jesus walked on the water. He multiplied the loaves and the fishes. So how many of those people that were following Jesus were just curiosity seekers? They were just going along for the ride to see what he was going to do next. But when commitment was offered to them. The challenge of commitment was given to them by Jesus. Well, we see a lot falling away. It was a very hard saying that Jesus refers to what he just told them. Some found his words very mysterious and didn't understand. But the ones who followed him, okay, and, and were fully uh, um, committed to him, said to him, well, Jesus, who else can we go to? You have the words of eternal life. We might not always understand the things that are going on in our world, in our lives. But if we can trust the one who died for us, who rose from the dead, the one who has come through for us before, even in difficult times, well, we can trust him again, can't we? Can't we just keep trusting him throughout all our lifetime? We can see the people in the scripture that he was faithful to, even in hardships. Even in times of devastation. It's the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. And Jesus wants us to focus and put our heart on the spiritual realities. Not the things that we always see. But the things that we can't see. It's so important for us to understand that. 
as we celebrate this season, because we can get so caught up easily in the lights and the gifts and the craziness of the season. But where are you spending Christmas? Hopefully, like Naomi, it's coming back. It's coming back to that place where we are partaking of the bread of life, Jesus. Because that is our nourishment. That is where we have to be. I want to give you a few people to think about as we wrap up tonight. I want you to think about the decisions that Naomi and Elimelech made. Think how there were similar decisions that Adam and Eve had to make. One of the things in, the, in John that we just read, as you read on, there's, there was going to be a rising and falling of many as a result of Jesus. There will be a falling and a rising of many. Now think of that with Elimelech and with Naomi. Elimelech died in a land he wasn't supposed to go to. God's grace and mercy brings back Naomi, and she rises to be a woman of prominence again with a key role in leading Ruth to the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Think of Adam and Eve, the fall, but yet God's grace where they put on the clothes, the animal uh, clothes, that God had to slaughter, shed blood. They accepted that. They got rid of their fig leaves. They rose up again. God brought them up again from their sin to a place of fellowship with them again. Think of Cain and Abel. How Abel sacrificed to the Lord obediently and Cain wanted to come his own way. There's a falling and a rising. Think of any of the people throughout. Think of Peter and Judas. Judas didn't ask for repentance. Peter did. Peter was lifted up. Judas fell away. How about you and me? Where are we? I think it's pretty easy to say right now that the Lord is raising us up. We're in the place that God wants us to be. You know, we're in, our, in God's Word. But you know, it's so important, everybody, that you have to understand that that person next to you in church on Sunday... Boy, they could be thousands of miles away, even though they're only a foot away from you. We need to pray for those people around us. Sometimes, and I'm sure it's happened before to some of you, God just puts that person up in the third row on your heart to pray for. You know, or you see something going on and, and God just directs his attention, gets your attention and puts it over there and you start praying for those people. The sensitivity of the leading of the Holy Spirit is so crucial that we are hearing what he's telling us to do and that we obey and do it. And we get up and do it like Naomi did. That we don't stay in our comfort zone, but we look to expand the horizons with the Lord as he leads. Famine in the land. Tonight, there's not a famine in your heart or my heart because God's feeding us by his word. We're, We're being nourished from his word. That's an awesome thing. 
I was just uh, down the road tonight uh, just grabbing a sandwich before I came over here. And there was a, a little, it's called Christmas in Iraq. I don't know if you have seen this. I'd just like to read it to you before I wrap up uh, the teaching. It's Christmas in Iraq, Afghanistan. It's Christmas in America, too. It's Christmas everywhere. Let's join together in prayer for the soldiers of the red, white, and blue. A soldier tonight stands all alone, guarding his friends while they sleep. On Christmas Eve, so far away from home, he prays the Lord his soul to keep. Christmas Day, out on patrol, the enemy could be anywhere. No decorations or mistletoe. Gunshots are ringing in the air. Family and friends over the seas, they are so very far away. Remember them on Christmas Eve and pray for them on Christmas Day. Mothers, fathers, sisters, and brothers, children and sweethearts too, let us pray for these brave soldiers. They're fighting over there for me and you. Christ was born a long time ago in the little town of Bethlehem. To the manger, the shepherds did go to find the poor lost sinner's friend. He was born to die on Calvary, crucified for all our sin. No greater love could there ever be than to lay down your life for a friend. It was right here in Priere's in the deli. Isn't that cool? It was right on where they had the coffee. And I thanked, um, I think it was Pierre. I didn't call him by his name, so he didn't think I got it wrong. But I just said, that's so great that you would have this out for people, you know. And what a cool thing. Because it's Christmas time, this is out there. And who knows who might just read this and just that spark. It only takes, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. Perception. Sunday school teacher asked a, a little boy, well, the class, the Sunday school class, to just draw pictures of what Christmas meant to them. So the teacher was going up and down the aisles, and she saw this one little boy drawing a plane. And she, and she saw some people on the plane, and she goes, Johnny, what, how does that tie in with Christmas? And he goes, oh, that's easy. This is the flight from Egypt. And the teacher goes right along and says, oh, okay. Oh, I see. I see that's Mary and Joseph and the baby Jesus. Who's the fourth person? The little boy goes, oh, that's Pontius, the pilot. (laughs) The perception, the perception that people have, you know, what is our perception of the Christmas season? Is it the babe in the manger or is it the risen Savior? You know, is it the babe in the manger or is it the risen Savior? We need to be like babes and humble ourselves at the foot of Jesus. That will make us stable. And just like God put hay and everything in the barn, he might be saying to us, hey, what's your perception of what's going on right now? I've got to tell you one more. This is, this is cool. Do you know down south that they have nativity scenes where they have the wise men, they have fire hats on? Weird, right? So when asked, why do the, fi- why do the wise men have fire hats on? The lady just said, 
looking at the guy like saying, don't you read your Bible? And she took out the Bible and turned to the passage and said right here, the wise man came from afar. Okay, Jesus intervened in our lives on a day we celebrate as Christmas. He's not through with me or you. He's continuing to work in our hearts to help us to grow in the grace and mercy of him. If we're hurting, if we have that things that I talk about, that the, the pining, you know, we feel sick mentally or physically. We feel down for whatever reason. Understand that the living God is your Savior, and He wants to raise you up. And like Johnny Erickson Tata, it might be the very thing that we're going through for a time that God is strengthening us because one day we are going to be free in Him in heaven. So the thorns in the flesh, the things that we're going through, whatever it is, don't allow that to keep you from spending Christmas in the house of bread. Because those soldiers in Iraq can be home this Christmas, spiritually speaking, even though they're thousands of miles away, if they know that the true meaning of Christmas is in a risen Savior who came for us, lived for us, bled for us, and rose for us. So on behalf of the whole church, we just wish each of you a great holiday, a Merry Christmas, and just a blessing that in the remainder of the days of this year and throughout the new year, that God just uses you in such a special way. Because, you know, there's no age that God uses. You know, when you pass a certain age or you're not at a certain age, as God doesn't say, oh, I'll wait another two years. No. You're important to him now. You're so crucial to the people. That's right. He's agreeing with me. That's right. Even the little baby can be used of the Lord. Let's pray. There's no age.